Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. It's the holy grail for marketers and content makers, producing content that goes viral. But what makes something shareable? What are the psychological triggers that evoke sharing motives? And how are they activated? Dr. Brent Coker is a lecturer in the Department of Management and Marketing, Faculty of Business and Economics, University of Melbourne. He spent the past decade studying viral marketing and is the author of the book Going Viral, the culmination of a seven-year study on the psychology of building a strong brand and customer engagement. Dr. Brent Coker sat down for a Zoom chat with Dr. Andy Horvath. Brent, what's your area of expertise? Describe it to us as if you're at a barbecue. I think I would say viral marketing uh, is what I spend most of my time researching and reading and, of course, watching memes is one of my hobbies. I I guess one of my unusual, one of the unusual things I I do is I collect memes. I have gigabytes of memes on my computer and I've always been fascinated by them and why certain things get shared more than others. You've written a book called Going Viral. Who was that book for and What's its main insights? Yeah, so um, I've always had this idea of, uh, I guess many academics have this idea of, of wanting to get their research out there to a wider audience when it's stuck in academic journals, as you probably know, uh, that the audience is limited. And so that, that was the idea behind it. I wanted to publish everything I knew about going viral, what makes content go viral, and, uh, and so, so that, I guess that was the idea behind it. The title of the book and the publishers wanted to call it The 12 Secrets of Getting Your Message Spread Wide and Far or something like this. But essentially, there are three parts to it uh, that make things get shared. Uh, so it's, it's important to realize, I think, that why things go viral, essentially, is essentially behind this idea that people share things. Uh, If something isn't shareable, it won't go viral. So the book is really about what makes people share content. What is one of the things that makes something shareable? I mean, obviously resonates with our souls, but how do you articulate something that captures the imagination that makes us share it? Well, there are three things. The first thing is called self-enhancement. And so this is something that's deeply rooted in psychology, and everybody does this, uh, which essentially means that people will share information with others if they know that they can get some kind of positive feedback, uh, which is usually recognition and respect. So I guess, you know, some of the early studies that we did were looking at how students, uh, young people share content online. And one of the things that we noticed quite early on is that they post something on the internet. And if it doesn't get any engagement within minutes, oftentimes they delete it. And, and that was intriguing for us. Why are they doing that? And the expectation for sharing content is often that other people are going to react in a positive way. And, and in social media, that usually means engagement, likes, comments, shares, and so on. So that's the first part. The second part is emotions. And, and you know, many others have been studying this for a while. This is not really new. Uh, I guess what I brought to the table is that 
if you mix emotions and content, it seems to have an exponential effect in terms of motivating people to want to share it. So very often, viral content makes people feel something. In other words, it evokes some kind of emotion. But it's not easy to make people laugh out loud or cry with tears of joy. Uh, and so one of the shortcuts to that is by mixing emotions and one way, for example, mixing negative emotions with positive emotions or the other way around seems to enhance that effect. Uh, and the last element of the framework is something called affinity. And I guess the, the best way to describe that is deep, deep relevance. <laughs> so th there's always something that people care deeply about, you know, and I guess it's that feeling of, let's say you're driving in your car and a song comes on the radio and it's a song that you haven't heard for a long time. Uh, but it has that effect of you of, oh, wow, this song, you know, and you turn it up and, and it, it makes you feel in a strong kind of a way. Uh, and and that's, that's close to what affinity is. It's something that people, uh, you know, they care about a lot. It's deep, deep relevance. So those are the three elements. I imagine this area of going viral is of real interest to various industries and people who sell products, goods and services. Yeah, they are. You know, uh, one of the things uh, behind this is word of mouth. Um, you know, I think most companies understand that the best type of marketing there is, is word of mouth nowadays. In other words, these are consumers telling other consumers about how great your brand is rather than the brand telling consumers how great they are. There've been quite a few studies done on this and all of them kind of point to this idea that, you know, consumers trust each other. Um, you know, it used to be friends, family and colleagues back in the old days before uh, the internet came about, but nowadays people listen to complete strangers online and they believe what strangers are saying about brands. I mean, let's face it, you know, before we buy anything of value nowadays, most of us go online and we read reviews about how great it is. And this is having an interesting effect on how consumers respond to traditional brand advertising. They become a little jaded in a sense, you know, less trusting of what brands are saying. I mean, consumers know uh, instinctively that brands are going to say that they're the best uh, because they want to sell their products. And so uh, consumers more and more are turning to this sort of word of mouth idea. So I, I think, um, so viral marketing is based on this idea that people are sharing information with others and that's uh, why things get spread wide and far and, diffused, as we say, uh, particularly through the internet, through social media channels, is essentially the same as classic word of mouth. And, and I think that's where the interest from brands comes into this, is they're interested to know, well, okay, um, I understand that traditional advertising has a place, but I want to make better use of online resources, particularly social media. Uh, and the best way to do that is to design content that gets shared. Brent, you've probably seen lots of changes in consumer behaviour over the years as you've studied them. What other changes have you seen? Well, I think one of the biggest changes we've seen is this idea of controversial advertising. So traditionally, this has been a way for brands to get noticed out in the marketplace is to be controversial. Uh, one of the early pioneers of this was Calvin Klein, for example. They had a big billboard set up in Times Square 
advertising their underwear. Uh, it got everybody talking back in the day when it was a bit risque to, to do that kind of thing. And it did the brand uh, a lot of good in terms of word of mouth and people talking about it. The thing is nowadays with when it comes to social media, controversial doesn't always work. And so we make a distinction between controversial advertising and shareable advertising or value advertising. I have a great story to illustrate this. So I think it was about 2011 when I first started looking at how to mix emotions and how that drives engagement online. I got a call one evening from a woman in Sydney and she worked for a small boutique advertising agency and she'd just taken on a new client. Uh, and this client was an underwear brand. And so she thought, well, um, this is great. I, I can do something online and really help them. And she'd promised them that she could make something go viral for them. And that's why she was calling me. The problem was she'd made something, put it online, and it wasn't going viral. In fact, it had hardly any views and shares at all. And she was a bit panicked and she wanted to know if I could fix it. Now, unfortunately, if, if something isn't already getting high engagement online, it can't be fixed. I didn't tell her that though, but I didn't want to break her heart, but I promised to have a look um, and I was intrigued about what was going wrong here. And what it was, was it was like a classic uh, underwear type campaign. Um, and she had this um, old school marketing thought uh, that sex sells, right? Now, th that's one example of something that absolutely does not work anymore. And so... Uh, just quickly, it was kind of this idea of this woman in, in lingerie and she was walking through in her, her apartment and it was a clever idea that they used to use where you upload a photo of yourself and that gets included in the story somehow. And so what it was, she was flicking through this magazine. She stopped on a centerfold. The camera zooms in and it's a picture of me, you know, wearing the underwear kind of thing. And uh, now the thing is what why that wasn't getting any traction is that People don't like sharing awkward things online. So even though it's controversial, it won't get shared because let's face it, you know, think about who we're connected to online. It's not just our friends, it's, you know, our relatives and, you know, our parents and perhaps work colleagues and so on. So people care quite a lot about what they share and what they don't share online. Uh, and I think that's driving a lot of uh, modern engagement content marketing techniques, I guess, uh, is moving away from controversy and moving more towards high engagement kind of content. Could we use viral marketing to save the planet one campaign at a time? I think we can, yeah. I mean, there have been several examples of this lately, uh, actually. You know, one of the things I've noticed with the EFI Awards, for example, the EFI Awards are one of our biggest awards uh, trophies out there in the world. If you're a marketer, you want to definitely get a prize in the EFIs. Uh, one thing I've noticed in the top 10 last year was that about seven of them were using some kind of social impact campaign. In other words, doing something good in the world. I think there's a definite trend towards that. You know, some of them are calling it the, the Greta effect after Greta Thunberg gained popularity, uh, the young Swedish girl who was at the United Nations making that passionate speech about um, how bad the planet is and how we need to change it. The house is on fire, she said. Um, so we've seen a lot of brands sort of shift towards that way of doing things. There's one, for example, who 
were looking at the well, they were concerned. I think they were a non-for-profit. They were concerned with the amount of plastic in the ocean, a very common issue out there. And what they decided to do, there's a certain part in the ocean where there's so much plastic that it makes this kind of island. It all sort of floats together in the currents. And what they did was they they turned this plastic island into a country. Uh, and they sold passports and they developed a currency for it, for this little country. Uh, and, you know, that, that was extremely popular with people applying for citizenship to this country and they're using the proceeds to kind of clean up the world. But there have been many other profit-making companies that have done similar things. Uh, Domino's Pizza in the U.S., for example, did something very clever. They noticed that... Uh, delivering their pizzas, they were getting shaken up in the box. So by the time they arrived, uh, they were a mess, you know. And that was because in many parts of the U.S., I think it started off in Detroit, many suburbs, the the state of the roads were so bad because the local councils were bankrupt. They couldn't afford to fix them. And so what Domino's did was decided to fix the roads themselves. And they started off in the worst areas. They put concrete over the, the pothole and then they put their brand on top of that. And so that, that kind of thing went viral as well. You know, everybody was, was hugely impressed with that. And um, there have been so many examples of that lately of brands doing similar things. So giving back to the community is, is not only good for the brand, but everyone seems to talk about it. So that's one way to go viral, I think. It's good to see companies working for good and not evil. However, companies are there to part us from our money. Are there ethical concerns about how companies use research about consumer behaviour? Yeah, I, I guess that's the dark side of marketing, isn't it? Ultimately, they want you to get your wallet out because they want your money. Uh, but, you know, I think you know, one of the things that we're working on at the moment is um, – you know, this framework, uh, we're calling it brand empatica. Uh, and it's one way of kind of giving back because I think consumers are, are getting more and more aware of this idea. And again, I think it's related to the Greta effect that, okay, the world is a mess at the moment in terms of climate. What impact are brands having on that? You know, brands convince us that we need a new shirt, we need a new car, you know, we need these new things when actually we don't. Psychological obsolescence is what it's called. And, you know, consumers are, are starting to look at brands in a way that's, you know, uh, how are you contributing to the state of the world? And for that reason, I think that is driving brand motives to be better citizens in a way. And so the, the Domino's example um, there's another one, an interesting case in France, uh, Carrefour Supermarkets. They had a law in France that certain crop strains were illegal because France was trying to protect its food supply, its food bowl. Uh, and so, therefore, farmers had to grow certain strains that were high yield and drought resistance and so on. And so there are many crop strains and breeds of vegetables and fruit that were becoming extinct because it was no longer legal to make these. And it was also restricting the variety of food that they were allowed to sell in the supermarkets. So what Carrefour did is they started selling these illegal fruits and vegetables and growing them through black supermarkets, they were calling them. 
Uh, and uh, the cost to them was the legal battle uh, fighting the government, you know, against this legislation, this archaic legislation that made these fruits and vegetables illegal. And they won. And they they actually turned the, the law around and got things changed. And again, everyone was talking about it. And that's, you know, great, great for the brand. Uh, but it's giving back to society. I think that's key. This is very interesting research. So what lured you to this interesting area of consumer behaviour? Well, I think, you know, getting back to your earlier point about how far, well, how ethical is it? I mean, there's a lot of psychology that goes on in marketing nowadays in terms of manipulating consumers. And is it manipulation? How fair is that? Uh, and so, you know, part of this, I think, is using it for good in a way. Um, I, I'm intrigued by brand, you know, where my research has shifted now is towards this idea. I'm calling it brand empatica, which is, I think, I'm not sure if I made that word up, empatica, or if it's actually Latin, but it means empathy. <laughs> you can see the similarity there. And, and um, if you can sell consumers' products, uh, by tugging on psychological strings to make them do that, and perhaps they otherwise wouldn't have purchased that product, can you do the same for making the world a better place? You know, I think as marketers, that's one of the, I, get, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's it's the dark side of marketing. You know, we're, we're teaching the students, for example, how to sell products, but should we be t- teaching them how to do that in a, in a sustainable kind of a way? Um, you know, ultimately, should we really be convincing consumers that that outfit that they were wearing last season is now not suitable and they need to update that and buy something new? You know, uh, what impact does that have on the planet? Um, so I, I think I'm intrigued by this idea of these brands that are coming out now and they're kind of leading the way and there's many of them. Uh, you know, all over the world that are leading the way in terms of giving back just as much as they're taking. So it's kind of a balancing act at the moment. There's some brands are doing it uh, better than others. It's sounding like to me what you want to activate in society is ethical marketing. If you had a platform now and unlimited funding, what would you do? Well, I, I think one of the things is that many brands don't really get it I suppose and it it takes them a while to kind of figure it out we're living in a different economy at the moment and I think it's going to be like this for a while now one of the things is that many brands have to shift their operations online The, the the classic model of selling offline is becoming increasingly obsolete year after year uh, certainly with advertising spend, it seems that digital marketing is increasing more than other forms of advertising. Uh, I suppose, you know, many brands go online, they spend a lot of money on online advertising uh, with, with, without having really much understanding of how to build a positive uh, community, I guess, online. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, that's one of the things I, I like to focus on um, in my classes, for example, is 
how to how to do things in an ethical way. Uh, you know, one of the issues online, for example, is misinformation and disinformation. You know, we were quite interested in that for a while. Is why do consumers believe certain things and not others? Uh, it seems to be very easy to sort of pull the wool over consumers' eyes when they're online more than offline because essentially what we've got is a screen uh, and visual input and that's pretty much it. You know, there are, there are a lot of scams out there. And so, uh, but I don't think there needs to be, you know, I think brands can be good citizens and be profitable and give back to society. And if they're profitable, it creates jobs. Uh, so I think, you know, I like to look at it from the positive point of view rather than the the negative. You know, let's let's try and extract as much money as we can more towards uh, let's let's be good out there. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about viral marketing? Brands go straight into this idea of, well, you know, what what can we do that's really really crazy, and what can we do to kind of get noticed through that. The problem with doing that is that some of the craziest things out there reflect negatively on the brand. It's a bit of a balancing act. Benetton, for example, are really famous for creating ultra controversial content. Uh, they had one, for example, and it was a, a photoshopped image of the Pope, Catholic Pope, uh, kissing a uh, Muslim leader, you know, it's like a full-on kiss and a hug, you know, kind of like this. And obviously that offended a lot of people. In fact, the, the Vatican sued uh, Benetton to get these images removed. And so, but that's very old school. That's an old school way of thinking. You know, one of the dangers of doing that is this thing called brand associations. So consumers form these impressions about brands from every touch point that they have could be how clean your van is or what your uniforms look like or how friendly your customer service staff are you know it's all of these things that combine and create this image of what your brand is about and so if your advertising is based on you know stirring controversy like that you know you got to think about what impression is that going to make on our brand as a whole uh, in terms of how we're thought of? Uh, you know, we often think about before we create any content is what are the reasons why people won't share? Uh, that's that's the first thing we look at. Uh, and it's surprising there are often many reasons why people don't share. And then we flip the coin and think about, okay, well, what are the things that people are going to want to share about this. Quite often we rely on intrigue, actually. Uh, intrigue is intriguing. <laughs> uh, you know, back in the day, one of the most viral toys, or one of the most viral things ever is the Rubik's Cube. And this was way back in the 70s before the internet even existed. I think there was 350 million of them sold. Somebody did the study once and concluded that one in seven people on the planet have actually tried to solve it. And so it's it's interesting thinking about, well, there's something that's gone viral, but why? And it, and it seems to be based on this idea of intrigue. And when we look into that, what is intrigue? And in psychology, there's this idea that People need to finish the story. They don't like it when the story's unfinished. I use the example of, you know, you're lying in bed at night and you hear a bump. I mean, you're not going to go to sleep very easily unless you get up out of bed and go see what that bump was. In other words, you 
finish the story. Uh, and so we rely on that kind of thing when we're creating content as well as is creating that intrigue. And we we see that pattern in super virals. So super virals are is content that has over one million shares. So when we look at how viral something is, the the metric that we look at is shares, not um, likes. And we find that pattern very often actually is this idea of beginning with intrigue. Uh, and then we have this um, sort of spike kind of story framework where emotions get e- injected into the story over time. Uh, and there's a big resolution at the end of the story. Brent, next time we're online and we see something that we want to share to one of our friends, what would you like us to think about? Well, I think quite often people think about what what's the reaction I'm going to get? You know, there's this idea of, self-enhancement you know this people want recognition and respect you know it used to be when i was on facebook i'm not a big fan of facebook um, lately but you know i used to use facebook quite a lot uh and the reason why i don't use it that often nowadays is it's a time suck I, i i find myself spending so much time on there browsing other people's photos and you've got to ask yourself why am i doing that But I used to think that, okay, well, why am my friends sharing these photos of them on holiday and doing these fantastic things in life? Are they trying to make me jealous? And it made me realize that, no, people don't share content to make other people jealous. What they're after is actually fundamental. It's recognition and respect, you know, that, and, and that's through likes and comments. You know, they want those love hearts and those positive comments and, you know, the, oh, lucky you, that looks amazing type comments because it makes them feel good. So actually when people share content, it's not for others, it's for themselves. Dr. Brent Coker, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Dr. Brent Coker, lecturer in the Department of Management and Marketing, Faculty of Business and Economics, University of Melbourne. And thanks to Dr. Andy Horvath. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on October 16, 2020. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Production, audio engineering and editing by me, Chris Hatzis. Co-production, Sylvie Van Wall and Dr. Andy Horvath. Eavesdrop on Experts is licensed under Creative Commons Copyright 2020, the University of Melbourne. If you enjoyed this episode, review us on Apple Podcasts and check out the rest of the Eavesdrop episodes in our archive. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.